This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. We are a clinical stage biotech company uh, powered with the generative AI. And actually, we connect the biologies, chemistry, and clinical trials analysis together with our AI platform. We have over 13 internal programs for the drug discovery. Well, right now, we already have three uh, programs entered the clinical phase. Can we actually leverage technology, leverage innovation to get to our net zero goals in a much more effective and efficient manner? That's the big focus on being able to use dangerous gases as a source or raw material for manufacturing. I want someone to use a string bioproducts because they are getting a higher yield per acre and their produce is now that much better. While using our products, they're also transitioning more easily to having a lower environmental footprint or lower water footprint or lower land footprint, which, you know, in effect gets us to planetary preservation, but in a much more sustainable manner. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. Today, we have a bonus episode, a preview of the Hello Tomorrow Asia-Pacific Summit 2023. The event is happening at the most beautiful venue in Singapore, the National Gallery, on the 26th and 27th of September. This year's summit has a theme of over-engineered. Pressing as global challenges may be, are we nurturing real solutions or encouraging extravagances? This should lead to great conversations about how we are developing and applying our tech in this global environment. There will be startup pitching, featuring 15 of the region's brightest deep tech startups, plus tech discussions around several themes. Longevity, can it be sweeter living on borrowed time? Brainless, but capable of complex decision-making. Hidden in plain sight, intelligence as we don't know it. Planetary preservation, a multi-species undertaking, plus more. For today's episode, we have an introduction with Sinyi, Managing Director of Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific, plus short introductions from two companies joining the summit, Encilical Medicine and String Bio. Encilical Medicine is an AI company, a software company, a drug discovery company, and now a clinical stage biotech company. They are revolutionizing drug discovery and testing through generative AI. Spring Bio is redefining manufacturing and enabling resilient food systems through precision fermentation of greenhouse gases. Please find out more about Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific on their website. 
www.hello-tomorrow-apac.org. On to the interviews. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. Today we are recording a preview episode for Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific, which is a tech summit that's happening here in Singapore. And today we have Sydney, who runs the show here. Sydney, welcome to One North Stories. Thanks, Ruben. Good morning. And so please share a little bit with us, what is Hello Tomorrow? So Hello Tomorrow is an ecosystem builder. We are otherwise headquartered in Paris. But here we are based out of Singapore, covering the Asia Pacific region. A large part of why we exist is because so much of Asia Pacific is it's huge. We're very populated, but we're also so scattered and fragmented. We exist to help support deep technologies as they go from lab to market. And what we have been doing for about a decade now is to help emerging deep tech startups to translate effectively and be able to find a community with which they feel safe and are able to find the resources they need to commercialize and scale. So you run that year round and you have this flagship event, the, the summit coming up in a month. So specifically, can, can you share with us a little bit about um, what people can expect? Um, when they come to the summit on the yeah, 26th, 27th September. Absolutely. So our Hello Tomorrow APAC Summit, it's an annual event where we bring together our region's best thought leaders, startups, and just people who care about the state of our future. This year will be no different. It's going to be a showcase of emerging innovations we need but didn't know were possible. A collective of dialogues around questions we think but didn't think we could verbalize. So our overarching theme this year is whether or not we are over-engineered. On the one hand, while we do our darndest to support these emerging technologies, we also need to ask ourselves about how effectively we're allocating our resources and whether or not the brightest, the best, the most, of, the most precious of our resources are going towards the solutions that we really need and the problems that are most pronounced. So this year, we have centered our conversations around a couple of themes. We've got everything from planetary well-being to food and regenerative agriculture, health and longevity, um, and we're having a little bit of fun with alternative intelligence as well. There'll be a good number of startups that will also be pitching from our Hello Tomorrow APEC Challenge Finals. So there'll be 15 of them vying for the top three, of which they would then also be fast-tracked to a Global Challenge Finals in Paris in March. So all three get to go to the Global Challenge? They do. Okay, Sydney, so that's the summit day, the, the 27th of September. Also understand that you run an investor day on uh, the day before the summit. Could you share a little bit what could people expect if they attend the investor day? Sure. So our investor day takes place on the 26th of September. It'll be a full day of one-to-one -one meetings that startups and investors will get to pre-schedule between themselves. This is the first time we're holding this outside of Paris. We host this every year in Paris as part of our global summit. But we figured, you know, we need a little bit of love here in this part of the world too. And we know times are hard. Startups are having a hard time fundraising, while investors are also having a hard time trying to find the best allocations for their funds that do need to be allocated. So what we have on the 26th of September, people will get to pre-schedule some of these meetings. It will be a bunch of deep tech startups that we would have first curated with investors from the region and some international ones as well, keen to 
identify opportunities here in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as to meet other investors for collaborations. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much. As a brief preview to the Hello Tomorrow Asia-Pacific Summit, Sydney has been able to secure uh, a couple guests. And so we have brief interviews in this episode with String Bio and in Silico Medicine. Please continue listening and find out, you know, who they are, what they're doing as a preview of what's coming up at the end of September. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Sydney. And we look forward to the, the show and getting to know each other and getting to know the deep tech companies and investors and whole ecosystem coming together. Thanks, Ruben. We have an interview with Frank Poon. He's the head of the Hong Kong office of Insilico Medicine. Frank, welcome to One North Stories. Hello, Ruben. I'm really happy to join this interview. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Let's get right into it. Can you start a little bit with your background, your early interests in science, technology, business, and then, yeah, what led you to Insilico Medicine? Yeah, sure. Basically, I have a background in medical science. I got a PhD in biochemistry. My research was focusing on the neurodegenerative disease, some neuropsychiatric diseases, as well as cancer. So after my graduations, I served as the visiting scholars and leading a team of the application scientists and research scientists focusing on the research in these main areas. And after that, I also got an MBA from the Rockefeller. Our business schools from the United States, and then I came to Hong Kong, served uh, as working in some biotech company. And then I met Alex in early uh, 2020, and with I truly believe AI is the future for uh, analyzing the huge amounts of the biological data, and we should apply AIs to do the medical science research. So that's why I joined in SACOS. And actually, it is a very bright decision. And, you know, we made very great progress in the last three years. So it was an amazing journey. Okay, great to hear. So like you mentioned, you joined Insilico um, in 2020, um, about six years after it's founded. Tell us a little bit, what is Insilico Medicine? What type of company is it? There's lots of great content online, so we don't need to reproduce all of it. But just briefly, like it's an AI company, it's a software company, a drug discovery company. And now recently also like a clinical pharma company. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Wow. Actually, all of them are correct. Okay. So basically we are a clinical stage biotech company, uh, powered with the generative AI. And actually we connect the biologies, chemistry, and clinical trials analysis together with our AI platform. So actually now we have our very hybrid business model that on one end, we have our, uh, pharma AI. And also we use our pharma AI to power our internal pipeline programs. So far we have over 13 internal programs for the drug discovery. So yeah, this is what we are. And you know, right now we already have three uh, program entered the clinical phase with our lead program and the phase two as well. So it, it is a very good progress. Yeah, it's very great, very rapid compared to, let's say the traditional ways. Um, can we talk a little bit about, let's say, leveraging AI for that rapid progress? I think, you know, from a training data understanding point of view, the, the drug discovery side of things, it makes sense. You know, rapid iteration, rapid testing, rapid feedback, then narrowed down by the machine learning. But let's say when you get to the clinical side of things, how do you know that you, let's say, have enough training data um, to then yeah, 
train the AI well. Okay, so I guess you are talking about clinical data, right? Yes. So actually, we have a platform known as the Inclinicals to help us to predict the clinical trial outcomes, especially focusing on the small molecule clinical trials from the transition from phase two to phase three. Okay. So what the training data actually is we have a huge amount of those kind of data. You know, so far we have, you know, in our platforms, we used uh, over 150,000 trials covering uh, more than 41,000 trials and 22,000 conditions. So with this huge amount of data, we can do a very comprehensive analysis as well as the training. So basically is we try to collect, you know, in terms of the training data, we try to collect the data from 1995 and then to 2017. So we use these data, the clinical trials data for, to do the training. Okay. And then we do a back test. Okay. And then we, yeah. And then we validate our results in with the trials data, let's say uh, from 2018 to 2021. So actually we have huge amounts of data to help us to do the training and then do the back test and do the pr prediction. Okay. Okay. I didn't quite understand that, that, that you've got this huge backlog, I assume harvested worldwide gathered from partners worldwide that, that you've fed into and, and built your in-clinical software package around that. Is that correct? Yes, but um, basically it's, uh, for those clinical trials data, we can use those publicly available data. Okay. That's would be good enough. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. At the very first beginning, I mean, it's about drug discovery and then, you know, getting uh, the drugs in clinically um, trial and then approved. Does this then trickle also to personalized medicine? Well, I'm. Our current focus is for the drug discovery uh, because, you know, the drugs discovery is very challenging and we involve many process. But what we are trying to do is uh, with our pharma AI, we try to connect the biology, chemistry and the clinical together to facilitate the drug discovery process. So this is what our main focus. And then in terms of the precision medicine is a thing in terms of finding the best biomarkers and also the, for, for the patients stratifications, we can also help the precision medicines. Um, but of course, our primary focus is still on the drug discovery side because we are the leader in this field and we stand uh, many years and many resources on this field. And it is the uh, most important part we need to improve. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Frank. We're connected for this interview today via the Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific. And in Silicon Medicine, you're invited to contribute to a session entitled Longevity, can it be sweeter living on borrowed time? Um, you guys recently had a high profile scientific paper about dual use therapeutics or dual purpose therapeutics um, about aging and age associated diseases. From a lay perspective, can you explain a little bit what do you define as dual use therapeutics and then what's the potential there? Yeah, thank you. Uh, actually, it is a very uh, interesting and hot topic. So basically, it's, uh, the dual purpose target, what we mean is the targets not only can tackle the disease or particular indications, but at the same time, um, it can also uh, tackle aging. So that is a very important. So basically, we can say that's two birds with one stone. Okay. One of the, our research interests is on aging. The reason is that we believe, and not only we believe, actually, this is the fact, <laughs> you know, aging is the driving force for many diseases. Okay. And that's why when we study aging and then we find to identify some common, let's say, mechanism of actions or common pathways that intercepts between aging and a particular indications, 
and then it is possible for us to focus on that particular area, focus on the intersections, and then so that we can find targets that can tackle their target the disease at the same time, it can improve our, let's say, lifespan or also health span at the same time. Good. So that is the idea. Yeah. And with this idea so that we can find the related pathway or the biological mechanisms. So that's why previously we tried to find a target uh, that is among the age-associated diseases. And then we compare the targets with those non-age-associated diseases. And then we can simply do an overlapping and then we can find which target is specific for the age associated diseases. Then we will pay more attention to further narrow down those targets so that most likely they are, those are the targets can be a good candidates for serving as the due purpose targets. Okay. Thanks. That's fantastic. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to live high quality lives. Yeah, to, definitely. If, if we're privileged enough into our 70s, 80s, potentially 90s, um, diagnostics and then um, treatment of onset of diseases that, that reduce quality of life will be fantastic to, to bring to market and, and make accessible. Just want to clarify with you, we talk a bit about aging, longevity. Some will say, what is longevity? We say it's more than just years, right? Years since birth. Ultimately, we want the, this quality of life. So can you speak a little bit about yeah, the convolution of quantity of years and the quality of life and what you're hoping to, to bring to patients as you work to bring drugs to market? Well, I think let's say if we can uh, develop some new drugs or to improve the current drugs, okay, um, to cure most of the diseases and then um, that will definitely improve the health spans of many of the people. Yeah, because what we are saying is not just the lifespans, but also the health spans is even more important so that you can increase the uh, quality of life for the elderly. So, so that's the point. Okay. So of course it is not only for the medicines and, you know, we also publish uh, many papers <laughs> focusing on the psychological aspect. Okay. For example, uh, people uh, living with more happily uh, or with more optimistic. Okay. Yes. This is also a very good indicators for a healthy aging. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Do you have any, I'll say initial targets for, for aging diseases? I mean, there's, you know, we could say generally like heart disease or things like ALS or Parkinson's. You're, you're still very much, let's say in the early stages as a company for, for drug discovery and getting things to market. But do you have any, let's say preferential or specific targets? Yes. So. Actually, we uh, published uh, many targets, for example, uh, not only the hallmarks of Asian papers uh, with dual purpose targets, we published early uh, last year, but uh, recently we also published the dual purpose targets uh, for the GBM. Yeah. So actually, I think uh, for the dual purpose targets, we think it can apply to different kinds of diseases. For example, let's say ARS, and then you can focus on the genes that is associated with the aging process, yeah, it works, or let's say, uh, just like the GBM paper we published uh, several months ago, it, we are talking about, let's say, whether we can find some targets to cure, uh, to tackle the GBM at the same time, it is involved in the aging process. So it is uh, many possibilities and actually we are happy to share uh, those targets. And we also have a very interesting paper coming out and this is we focusing on their 
cancers as best. So whether we can find some targets that can tackle cancer and aging at the same time. Recently, we also used the larger language model. I mean, actually, we developed the Precious One GPT. That is, we use the large language uh, model to help us to identify the targets. Okay, that is involved in aging. Okay, and at the same time, it can serve as a therapeutic targets. In that paper, we not only use the traditional transcriptomics data, but we also involve the methylation data. So it is a very comprehensive study, actually. Okay, great, thanks. We've talked about therapeutics. What about diagnostics? I mean, ultimately, doctors can't treat what they can't diagnose. Is Insilico doing anything in the diagnostics space? Well, um, as I mentioned, our primary focus is still on the drug discovery side. And for the diagnostics, I think our programs can still help to do something for the diagnostics, but it is not our primary focus. For example, we can find some better biomarkers for our specific indications. And with that biomarker, we can also to help to uh, find the a better patients for being recruited in the in, for the clinical studies. So I think we can help in that field, although it is not our, our primary focus. Um, so beyond the, the session on longevity at Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific, is there anything else that Insilico is looking to do when you come visit Singapore um, next month? Yes, uh, well, I'm, I'm so happy to visit Singapore again. Actually, uh, I just visited Singapore, let's say, two months ago. Yes, I will meet some good friends there and our potential investors and our collaborator there as well. Yeah, it will be uh, fantastic opportunities. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Frank from Insilico. And, and we look forward to, to having Insilico at Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific. Thank you. Today we have Isil, who is the co-founder and CEO of StringBio. Hi, Ruben. Thanks for having us here. Okay, could you start by introducing yourself, um, your background, um, science, technology, entrepreneurship, and your experiences prior to StringBio, and then what led you to, to starting StringBio? Sure. So, hi, hi everyone. I'm Azil. I'm a biotechnologist by training. So my, you know, my undergrad was in biotechnology, post that dabbled in biophysics. Before finding my, I guess, my true love, my passion in an area of work called metabolic engineering. So this basically lies at the intersection of biology and engineering or biology and math. And the basic idea here is, hey, could we use biological cells, particularly microbial cells, to manufacture pickle and value-added inputs. That is basically the core theme that I started to dig further and further into. I worked in three different early-stage companies, all based out of California, before starting, before deciding to start String. At String, the theme continues. Fundamentally, what I've been working on is using microbial cells to bring products to market that are cleaner, that are more sustainable, and that are more climate friendly. So you started String Bio um, just over 10 years ago, um, 2012. You said you, you were in California at the time, and then you moved, I think, very quickly in, in your founding journey to India. So can you share a little bit with us the, the founding story of, of String Bio and, and how you got to where you are now? Absolutely. Um, so when we started String at that point, Ruben, I spent, I spent a fair amount of time building technologies for, as I said, scaling up what I call bio-based solutions. And when we started String, the focus was on developing and building better tools for biological engineering. 
right? And very soon after the founding, they realized that for us to be able to actually create the value, create the impact on the market side, we needed to be able to build the products and take it all the way to market. Um, so the initial focus was to look at uh, technologies that will allow us to make sustainability market relevant. What I mean by that is, uh, you know, oftentimes when you think about sustainable products, we, we go through the process of end-to-end manufacturing of these products and then worry about, okay, how am I going to recycle? Is there a recycling value in this? Whereas the way we looked at it was to say, hey, can I have a very sustainable manufacturing process uh, such that the products we're bringing to market have a low environmental footprint? That's when we started to look at greenhouse gases as our input raw material um, and basically uh, started to leverage the ancient art of fermentation and innovated to see if greenhouse gases could be the raw material for fermentation. So very simply put, what we've done is, you know, we've taken the tools, the technologies, the processes that have been built for scaling up something as simple as alcohol fermentation. And we've leveraged that to do a greenhouse gas fermentation. Um, so if you envision what we do today, you know, it's very similar to your stainless steel reactors that you would see at a microbrewery, except if you come to a string facility, our bioreactors, they are using uh, greenhouse gases, particularly methane gas, as the primary raw material. So we built a lot of, uh, we, I mean, we really had to innovate because this was not easy to do. Gases are fundamentally not very soluble in liquid. So there's a lot of innovation that we have to do to get the conversion efficient, very efficient. And while we looked at how we convert the gas, we also started looking at the kind of products that we wanted to make uh, using this process. So that's the second part of the focus and second part of the work that we do at String. Okay, just curious, you mentioned methane. Where do you get your methane from? So methane, methane is actually a very interesting molecule we've discovered. Methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. In fact, a significantly higher global warming potential than carbon dioxide. Uh, but interestingly, methane is also a very high energy gas. So uh, we've realized that, hey, we can actually derive this energy and convert it into different products. Where does the methane come from? So the big source of methane that we're all familiar with is methane coming from the oil and gas industry. Right. So today, if you look at a natural gas player, natural gas is nothing but about 90% methane. And that's, so that's one of the major sources of methane gas. But the second source of methane that is becoming popular nowadays is biogas. Biogas is nothing but, you know, and let's say natural gas that's been made in a very short time. Right. So you take waste, you digest the waste, and then the gas that comes out is about a 60 to 70% methane and that is biogas. So that's another source of gas for us. The third potential source of gas that we could work with is landfill gas, which is also another source of methane. Okay. So um, you, you source this in a sustainable manner, I assume, through your supply chain. Yes. Yes. So, um, so if you look at the current sources that we work with, so we set up um, a pilot scale manufacturing plant in Bangalore City uh, for a technology about five years back. This plant can work with biogas. So for the biogas supply, we work with a partner who takes our city waste, converts it to biogas and supplies it to our facility. And for natural gas, we actually work with just compressed natural gas. And so, yeah, so we work with sustainable sources of both. And then your, your end product that you're shipping to, to your customers, can you share a little bit about what you're producing and who's buying it? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So uh, when we started looking at, hey, what would be interesting right, products on the market side that we can meet, um, one of the main areas that we focused on is the protein market. Uh, protein market, very, very interesting space today. Whether you talk about protein for animal nutrition or protein for human nutrition, in both cases, we realized that there were significant gaps in terms of availability, quality, uh, consistency. So, for example, let me talk about the animal nutrition space, right? So one of the products we, um, we are today manufacturing from our platform is a very high quality protein that can go into the animal uh, feed, right? So today, protein is a very, very significant component of any animal feed, whether you're talking about your salmon that you're eating or your pork or your uh, chicken. Uh, protein is a very critical component of their diet. That protein today comes from either fish meal, which is ocean codfish, or it comes from soybean meal. And both those sources have uh, significant challenges for scaling up right today. So one of the main products that we make is a protein ingredient that can go into animal feed. And because this protein ingredient is made via a fermentation process, it's a very high quality protein, very clean, antibiotic free, chemical free. And given that it's made from methane gas, it also has very, very significant environmental benefits, right? So that's one of the products that we're shipping. And this protein basically from us, it goes into the feed manufacturers while they're making the feed for the animal. So we are shipping our product to our global aqua feed manufacturers or poultry feed manufacturers. So that's one line of products that we today are commercialized from our platform. Uh, the second and very, very interesting line of products that we've commercialized, Ruben, are crop management products. So we, again, leverage the same fermentation platform. Uh, we call it string integrated methane platform. And we convert methane into a variety of different products that can be used to enhance the output of our agriculture industry in a very sustainable way. Uh, so we have a lineup of about six to seven different products. And these are positioned for both large acre cereal crops like your rice, wheat, maize. And then we also have products for horticulture crops as well as for plantation crops. And what essentially these products do is they come under class of, um, you know, they're basically crop nutrition products and they have multiple benefits for the farmer. Uh, they can increase the yield per acre of the farmer. They can also enhance the produce quality of, for the farmer. What do I mean by that is, uh, for example, we have a product called grape bar that gets used by grapes growers. And here, the color of your grapes, the sugar value of the grapes, and uh, the minimum residue limit of the grapes and so on, are favorable such that it actually allows the farmer to sell that produce at a higher value. Right? So that, those are the second type of products we make using the platform. The third, we also look at uh, protein directly for the uh, human nutrition market as well. Uh, but ultimately, where we are going with this is, um, so we've got a very powerful te core technology, right? Where, you know, you can convert greenhouse gas via fermentation into biological molecules. Um, so what we are doing right now is to see what are the right end-use markets where we are able to address significant uh, market gaps today or significant pain points today. And we've started with these three industries, which is protein, fan nutrition, agriculture and protein for human nutrition. 
we're also exploring other end-use markets, uh, leveraging the platform itself. That, that's fantastic. Um, proteins for animals, crop nutrition, and then expanding proteins for humans and finding rate gaps, market opportunities. In a month, you're, you're going to be here in Singapore um, at the Hello Tomorrow Asia Pacific 2023 Summit. You'll be speaking uh, in a panel or part of a session called um, Planetary Preservation, a multi-species undertaking um, with a subtitle, Precious Habitat to Such a Rich Array of Life and Death. What will it take for us to return to a symbiotic relationship with Earth? Can you please re reflect a little bit on the, on the session theme of planetary preservation, a multi-species undertaking, and what you're doing at, at String Bio? I think the overall session topic itself is extremely timely, right? And I think <clears throat> it spans across the spectrum of issues that we've been talking about, right? So why do I say it's timely? I think post-pandemic, I think the pandemic, you know, what I like to call is a pandemic was a very large global experiment which basically highlighted to us that if you take out the human factor, that ecosystems can actually come back to a natural, uh, healthy status very quickly. Right? So if anyone had any questions about the impact we were having on the ecosystem around it, I think COVID was the experiment that really highlighted to us the extent to which we were perhaps leveraging the ecosystem around us in a very unfair way. Um, so I think post that, you know, we are in that post-pandemic space and right before COP28, where we really need to think about how do we actually ensure that humans as a species are living comfortably, living a healthy life, but at the same time, perhaps getting clever, getting innovative and really being able to leverage technology so that we become kinder to the other species that are living on the planet as well, right? Um, so I think in that way, uh, love the topic, and I think it's very timely. In terms of what we are trying to do at String towards this, I think we've already talked about it, is what we are looking at is can we actually leverage technology, leverage innovation to get to our net zero goals in a much more effective and efficient manner. So I think that's one of the main goals for us, and that's the big focus on being able to use dangerous gases as a source or raw material for manufacturing. That's one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum is, hey, can we bring to market climate positive products that can have a significantly lower carbon footprint, water footprint, land footprint, compared to the products that we are using in the market today. Uh, but that also, Ruben, I think the, the underlying thing that, uh, that the design constraint that we worked on is, can we do this in a manner such that transitioning to a low carbon economy or transitioning to a more sustainable future is easier for the common man? What do I mean by that is, you know, I want someone to use a string buyer products because they are getting a higher yield per acre and their produce is now that much better. Or, you know, there's a pull on the market side already for chemical-free organic produce, right? So... With that goal, if we can actually enable farmers to produce those products and take it to market, then they are naturally using our products. But while using our products, they're also transitioning more easily to having a lower environmental footprint, or lower water footprint, or lower land footprint, which you know, in effect, gets us to planetary preservation, but in a much more sustainable manner. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much. Look forward to the deeper share at the, at the summit. One more thing quickly, you're coming to Singapore for the summit. 
as the draw. But what else are you going to do in Singapore um, while you're here? I'm really looking forward to the summit in Singapore. Uh, you know, I've been there and the Hello Tomorrow event in Paris. I think it'd be great to have an Asia-focused conversation. So very much looking forward to the summit. Apart from, you know, being a part of the, the event, they're really looking to connect with potential partners in the ecosystem. So we are looking at partners both on the supply side, which is, you know, both on the gas input side. We're also looking at, at partners on the go-to-market side for us. So looking to network with partners on both ends for us. Also looking to network with investors. Uh, String will also be looking to raise our next round of capital shortly. Uh, so those will be the two key priorities on my mind while I'm at the summit, Ruben. Okay, great. Fantastic. Hope you're able to have wonderful conversations when you're here. Anything else you want to mention or specifically plug um, before we wrap up? Um, you know, later half of this year, we're going to uh, do a launch around a very, very interesting product we have for the agri sector. I can't share too much about it right now, but many, but hopefully we'll be able to talk more about it at the summit itself. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for your time today, Ezra. And yeah, look forward to the summit um, at the end of September. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ruben. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.